people may join. Let's pray. Father, for, uh, for today, thank you. Um, for this morning, for uh, your word. Um, speak now, in the next hour or so, with uh, the next 30 minutes or so, with with um, a little bit of fun, with some music, um, but also, Lord, to uh, to open us to your um, to your true gospel, to your rest in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, um, looking at a, a little bit of Lyle Lovett, I mentioned that last week. One of my uh, one of the, the performers, one of the musicians that, that we really like, Mayme and I. Um, when he comes around, whether it's in Birmingham or you know a couple times, I guess even in Atlanta, we'll, we'll make a point to go see him. He's one of the few ones that we sort of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to. Um, to my knowledge, you know, he's not really, his, his, his songs aren't Christian per se. There's not a lot of redemption in them. He certainly doesn't sort of sing, uh, he doesn't sing theology the way that I sort of hold Bono up to do and that sort of thing. He doesn't deal on the levels of ideas and make songs out of them. It's a different way. He's a storyteller and that's what I really want to chase this time, um, and ask uh, the question, somewhat semi-rhetorically, what makes a good song um, amongst the several things that I think we could come up with. The one I want to chase is the idea that a good song is evocative. It evokes something. So before we go there, um, or before I just start prattling on, um, we're also going to look at another three-minute clip from the same woman from last week, Sherry Turkle, the psychologist who looks at the effects of technology on our ability to connect, a little bit of what we were just talking about before the class, um, different piece than last week, um, but looking at uh, how some of those same themes, I think, do present themselves in a good story in the way it comes out. Come on in. Um, so to start with, I thought we'd listen to a minute or so. The other ones will listen to uh, to all of his songs. But there's a song called God Will that, um, that Lyle Levitt sang. Um, uh, with few exceptions, um, this is this is almost the most religious he gets in his songs, and it's uh, and it's funny, um, and so really it's just kind of a light way to kind of plug in. I think his, his songs are either, to my way of thinking, laugh out loud funny, or they're um, they're deeply soulful and poignant. Um, and so we're going to look at a balance, or, or a combination of the two um, today. The, the first ones I think just primarily funny. Um, the middle, the second one funny but poignant, and then the last two just sort of that soulful. Sort of pathos. So here's a little bit of snippet from God Wills. I mean, who knows Lyle Lovett? I mean, who likes Lyle Lovett? Have I seen him before? Um, few people good. So um, he, he kind of defies genres. I mean, he's got jazz in him. He, he, you probably find him in country, but he's not country per se. Um, uh, almost pop with a few times. And of course, he hit the headlines in People magazine several years ago when he married Julia Roberts for, what, two or three years, I guess it was. Um, um, I won't go, I don't know enough to go here too far. It was interesting as I was sort of following him um, right around the time of his divorce, and I think you probably read into this pretty easily, uh, he quit writing uh, new material, or at least he quit publishing new material. At that point he sort of explored his roots and he explored um, sort of Texas singer-songwriters, and so he did that double album, Step Inside This House, where it was none of his songs that he wrote. Um, he just covered a bunch of really, really old songs. I mean, great music. I mean, he did that for like two or three albums. Um, he's just he's coming back in the last two or three years into writing songs again. But there's a difference in his songs. A lot of what we're going to listen to today is kind of pre-Julia or whatever that's worth. Here's a little song of um, called God Will. Just to be a little bit funny. Definitely got the country twang to it.
kind of the song. It's just kind of a way for people to fill in. Who keeps on trusting you um, uh, when you're untrustworthy? Who keeps on loving you even when you've been out cheating around? It's all the, it's all, he's poking fun at the genre of uh, sort of country music, I think. Um, and then plays out, and I'm not going to sort of hyper-spiritualize this song. I don't think it's intended to be so. But who keeps on loving you? Um, God will, but I won't. God does but I don't. And that's the difference between God and me. You know, he just kind of puts it right out there and he says, you know, no, I'm not going to have you. You know, this is enough. So, and he's just kind of funny kind of bringing that around. So, um, let's think about this. Um, this woman, Cherry Turkle, we're going to look at now. Uh, this psychologist, again, who studies connection and how it really forms our identity. Looked a little bit last week, thought a little bit about last week, an old theme that I like to return to again and again and again. So it shows up often as... Um, as I prattle on, um, what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, an important idea. I mean, it's right there at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, um, that, that Adam and, uh, and Eve, um, male and female, he created them in his image, he made them. Um, what does that mean? Primarily it means that we exist in relationship. As God exists within himself in relationship, so do we exist in relationship. Joe has a great word on this when we teach the, uh, the fifth and sixth graders and how this affects um, sexuality and what all, how it's deeply reflective in that idea that as God exists in relationship, so too are we, with the pinnacle being a, uh, the marital relationship between husband and wife, at least sexually. So, I mean, it's got lots of implications at lots of different levels. Um, at one level, it's technology. For some you're talking about, you know, the effects of having our phones in bed with us and you know, sleep texting or whatever else. Um, it affects a lot of different ways. Sherry Turkle highlights some really good ones, highlighting our need for connection and how that it's properly outside our need for control. This is what she's going to talk about in about a three-minute clip, just to highlight um, what she's going to say so that she can say it. That connection at a deep level is necessary, at a developmental level, um, whether that's... Um, you know, this sort of standard developmental psychology or emotional and cognitive development as children. It, it's, it's crucial that they have that ability to connect. Um, uh, but in a much deeper level, sort of at an identity level, if we don't know how to connect with another human being, primarily what that means is we have a very deficient um, identity issue. We don't know ourselves. And the, and, and the extent to which we're able to know another person is limited by the extent to which we know ourselves. I think she would agree with that statement. I certainly do. Um, and so she highlights all this. I'm going to hijack, hijack that, that idea and force it into some Lyle's songs. 
um, because as we listen to songs or watch movies or whatever else, um, these ideas, they play out. That's what makes a good song a good song. It's because it evokes from us a truth that's always been there that maybe we never thought about or realized, but you sort of wake up and say, that's me. I'm in that. And so there's that, 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 connection, of, um, that connection with a song. So let's look at Cherry Turkle um, for a little bit, and uh, we'll pick it up from there. Good. That worked. I feel just right for that middle-aged executive can be a problem for an adolescent who needs to develop face-to-face relationships. An 18-year-old boy who uses texting for almost everything says to me wistfully, someday, someday, but certainly not now, I'd like to learn how to have a conversation. When I ask people What's wrong with having a conversation? People say, I'll tell you what's wrong with having a conversation. It takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're going to say. So that's the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. And that means we get to retouch the face, the voice, the flesh, the body. Not too little, not too much, just right. Human relationships are rich and they're messy and they're demanding. And we clean them up with technology. And when we do, one of the things that can happen is that we sacrifice conversation for mere connection. We shortchange ourselves, and over time, we seem to forget this, or we seem to stop caring. I was caught off guard when Stephen Colbert asked me a profound question. A profound question. He said, don't all those little tweets don't all those little sips of online communication add up to one big gulp <laughs> of real conversation? My answer was no. They don't add up. <clears throat> Connecting in sips may work for gathering discrete bits of information. They may work for saying, I'm thinking about you or even for saying, I love you. I mean, look at how I felt when I got that text from my daughter. But they don't really work for learning about each other, for really coming to know and understand each other. And we use conversations with each other to learn how to have conversations with ourselves. So a flight from conversation can really matter because it can compromise our capacity for self-reflection. For kids growing up, that skill is the bedrock of development. Over and over I hear, I would rather text than talk. So she speaks, you know, summarized, again, these little sips. You know, they're not bad in and of themselves. Sometimes they, they serve a great purpose. Just, I'm thinking about you. Good luck, you know. Um, thought of you when I read this. You know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, 
our hearts being what they are, they sometimes take a good thing and they make it an ultimate thing. And, uh, and they become really, well, harmful. They hurt us. Um, and I think that's one of her points. These sips don't add up to a big gulp. There's no substitute for something in real time which is unedited um, that's outside of my control. Um, I'm not God. Um, and yet my life naturally is oriented in betrayal of that fact where I try to be God um, and, uh, and, and create something the way I think it should, should be. Now, obviously, that's a big thought. Um, uh, it's playing out in something as small as our iPhones. And you can say, get a handle on yourself. I mean, is it really that, that big a deal? Um, well, we're kind of going forth in this uh, experiment and seeing how it's going to happen. We'll, we'll know in about 20 years if it's that big a deal or not and kind of who we are. Um, awareness, it's not in of itself curative, but it's a big thing. Just being aware of the possibility of the effects of, of technology or anything else. Again, it's not just technology. This has been around a long time. So just some ideas and the necessity of connection, um, something outside of my control. Any comments or thoughts before we then look at some of the songs from, from Lyle Levitt and kind of see where this goes? Next up is Creeps Like Me, so it's a kind of fun, fun little song. So any thoughts? You know, there's something that you read, you know, thinking about you may, you may have even shown it to me or some, somewhere, but there was a, I think one of the reasons that texting has become so popular is that it, it removes, it, for good or bad reasons, it, it removes some of the interpersonal interaction mm -hmm. that sometimes can be uncomfortable. Sure. And that that is, you know, any additional thoughts on that is... Yeah, it's outside of what she calls real time, and I would agree. Um, some of the discomfort, uh, I mean, you can, you can ignore a statement in a text, you can respond to it in your own way. Um, it's interesting, a couple of years ago, when, when email became passe, why? You know, and that was, you know, certainly in our lifetimes, back when I remember email was so hot because it was just like so fast, it was instantaneous, and you could talk to somebody across, hit send, and it's, they've already got it. Well, now it's, it's, it's old. Voicemail is old. Why? Because you have to wait for it. You know, email, I've got to load my email program and go get it. Texting is uh, uh, it's better than a phone call because you don't have to dial. You have to go through the pleasantries of, hello, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, me too. Da, 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 da. Um, look, this is why I'm calling. Um, you can't really do that, except unless you're John Harper. John Harper was the only person I knew could do that. So on the staff here, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'd get voicemails from John, Margaret's grandfather. I'd left him one three days ago, and he'd send one back, and he'd go, yes. <laughs> I have no idea what you said yes to, but I'm going to go ahead and take that as a carte blanche permission. So. Um, so, but John, you said yes. So um, um, Anyway, for the most part, um, uh, everything else is, is uh, it's not on my terms. It's messy. Um, it's inefficient. It's, uh, it's in real time. Um, I don't have complete, I don't have the illusion of complete control. Texting to a degree, and admittedly, is you know, let's overstate this, um, lets me have that fantasy that I'm in control. I'm in control of my text. I get to, to say what I want to say. Now, not always. If you're sleep texting and all that, you're not. But but it's the, the seed is there, and I think people can grasp onto that. And it takes less effort. Less effort, absolutely. It's more it's perceived to be more efficient. <laughs> Done. Um, given. Yeah, and so it's a sip. And so you get sort of a 
superficial relationship, you're going to have superficial fruit, perhaps. That's the experiment that we're kind of into. Yeah, Matt. Thank you very much for not ratting me out there. Who tend to be tech junkies. It seems in that communication that it starts out not responding to an email. Then it's they're screening the text. And then because they've got that control, it's not that they don't like the but they're so fixated on control that they stop communicating all the and I, I've noticed that with more than one or two people. Yeah. Well, that's just so-and-so, and they're really into their iPhone. But a number of people, and I found myself doing it to a point, yeah. where it starts out screening calls with the caller ID in the house. Right. Then on the phone, then, well, I'll get around to responding to email, and then maybe a Facebook message, and then it's just one thing after another. That's time. very astute. And whatever mechanism they choose to use with social media or the actual technological hardware, there tends to be this kind of navel-gazing type that's scenario right. where eventually they're completely shut off from anybody. Yeah, I'm in control of my own navel, right. at least. And so you're right there. And, yeah. While the tendency is not in use of the human heart, the way it manifests does seem to be something that obviously you couldn't have found 100 years ago. Yeah, there's an ease to it now. You could have ignored a telegram, you know, but this, this seems to be a little different because you know they're getting the call. Remember 20 years ago, I was like, I never got that voicemail. And you'd be like, you're a little high end. I mean, <laughs> you, you did. I mean, you can't not, you know. Now you're, you're definitely you're definitely there. Um, we'll move on, but for anybody who's sort of a Narnia buff, um, I think that's Lewis, you know, 1958, saying the dwarves are for the dwarves in, um, in the last battle. Just that that you're saying. Let's look at some loud love. Keep all that in mind, this idea, this need, I wouldn't even say need, to connect in real time um, outside of our control. Um, Lyle Lovett, really interesting guy. He grew up probably about an hour from the place where I grew up in Texas, and so that's part of my affection for him is what he sings of, because home is a big thing for him. Um, some of the images which he creates in his songs um, are images that, that I saw as a, as a child, and so that's, I got that bias. He has some great titles, I mean, a few of them. Um, the Truck Song, If I Had a Boat, that's one. If I Had a Boat in Church are probably his two most Famous one, Skinny Legs, Fat Babies, Hello Grandma, She's Leaving Me Because She Really Wants To. I think that's a great title. Um, <laughs> I Married Her Just Because She Looks Like You. Um, uh, that's, and then, of course, That's Right, You're Not From Texas, which you know, uh, a lot of people have heard on commercials and all that. Um, he's in a lot of movies. You don't know it until you start to look at it. And it's like, oh, that song was in a movie once. Oh, that song was in a movie. Um, what makes a good song? Like I said earlier, lots of dynamics. I'm not going to go into this long because I'm going to leave time for, 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 some, for some viewing. Um, lots of things. But right now I'm going to say it evokes something. It evokes something from us, a response, um, a thought, a feeling. It moves us. It takes us out. And so here we are outside of ourselves, outside of control, outside of, of uh, 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 an illusion, and in real time... Um, I'm, I'm affected. That's important, that, that in real time, I'm effective and, and, uh, affected. And a lot of Lyle's songs, the one to which I'm particularly drawn, he seems to evoke um, a certain alienation, a displacement. Um, he, he seems to get pain. He certainly writes about it. Um, oftentimes, he, uh, home, as I mentioned, sort of in the vein of Willie Nelson, sort of that brand of what you would call Texas singer-songwriters. Um, Guy Clark would be there if, you're, if you know some of these guys. Um, home and that idea of nostalgia, which we've also looked at in this class before, um, which literally means um, 
a home ache comes out of Homer. He coined the phrase, I think, if I remember right, out of the Iliad, that is an ache for home. Um, again, C.S. Lewis uh, uh, really big on this theme, that, that there's this, this drawing back as water is drawn to water, that we're drawn to our true home. And so there's our true home in heaven. Our citizenship is not in this world, but for something else. Um, that theme seems to be present, sort of at an earthly level, not that supernatural. Again, Lyle doesn't ever sort of seem to make that jump. Lyle, as if I knew him. He <laughs> doesn't seem to make that jump. Um, but it's there. The seed of the idea is there. Um, and here's one, and, and Joe's, you know, I was going to say this, even if he wasn't here. I thought that sermon was so great today. Didn't know the passage, didn't hear the sermon beforehand, but in a couple of instances, this song and then the next one. I mean, this could have been, this could have been King David. Um, it's a song called Creeps Like Me, distantly re- reminiscent. I would say two steps removed. Thou love it is not Flannery O'Connor. Um, but there's this, this portrait of, of the grotesque. That's usually how Flannery O'Connor is described, the southern author of short stories, primarily Flannery O'Connor, where she writes with a grittiness and an earthiness that is oftentimes repugnant and repulsive. I mean, her characters are they're evil or they're wicked or they're, they're just physically ugly and deformed and they're weird and they're strange. Um, the song, Creeps Like Me, is, is similar to that. Um, it's mostly funny. Um, I think it's got a poignant edge beneath it. And again, this could have been King David, written at a particular point in his life. Um, it's a, you're going to pick up a, a, a video clip of him performing this in, a, in Atlanta. I hope the sound comes out well. And he's telling the story of how it came. This didn't happen to him. And it's kind of his creative process, something Clayton I talked about a lot. Um, he has these conversations, it seems, with people. And, and, and as near as I can tell, conversation is about this woman's ring and it's got something stenciled on it which is similar and she says well no 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 this was my when my grandmother died she had a gold tooth and she left me her tooth and I had her tooth melted down and made it into this ring well I thought that's just strange and so he said and so I wrote this song about her so she quit talking to me and so then they sing this song um, called uh, um, Creeps Like Me so let's find it that's not it He's really funny in concert. I mean, he tells these stories. John Hyatt that he's with.
We all didn't laugh the way I thought you would. Um, either y'all couldn't understand it, or you, you have a much better sense of humor than I do, because mine's just a lot darker. Um, anyway, um, three stories, you know, about individuals um, who are a lot like you and me. Um, you know, where you want to put it, but by the grace of God go I, or whatever. Um, uh, how are they like me? Now again, like Joe's sermon, um, you know, probably not going to be doing what, what these three people did, but, but it betrays this idea that we're in control. We're in control and rational people. Um, and I would hop on this train 100% of the time. You know, the story that evokes um, a story of three individuals, this uh, you know, dark, dark, dark stuff. This is sort of John Wayne Gacy stuff. Um, uh, to get Grandma's tooth of gold, you know, kind of smother her with a pillow, and another one, you know, sort of, you know, she was 18, maybe, you know, what's a year or two. Um, uh, these stories of, of really grotesque individuals who are being driven by their passions and their lusts and their covetousness uh, with, that are buried deep within their hearts that, it, that, 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 that rationality has no approach to. Um, songs like this evoke a similarity for me. Now, again, it's a leap. I'm not saying that we're that person, but gosh, David was, um, uh, and I am that person. Um, you know, in a different context, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Uh, what I do know is I'm not nearly as rational as I think I am. Um, tying up just a lot of themes from the past several months. That, that behavioral economist that we looked at for a couple of weeks, Dan Airely, if some people remember that, um, with his great book, Predictably Irrational. We're not, we're not, we're not up here all the time. We're, we're here. We're driven by passions and desires. What does that do? It thrusts us away from the God that we think we want, which is you know, some form of a God of justice. You know, give me what I deserve and, and, and give other people what they deserve. And then I'm going to say I deserve pretty good and everybody else deserves pretty bad. And it thrusts us to the God of mercy, the true God, the one true God, the God that we actually need. Deliverance from creeps like me. Um, that's what King David would have said. Um, you know, I'm a creep. What did I do? What have I done? So, so that's an idea that comes out of you know, a funny song, but there's a poignancy beneath the bubbles. Um, comments or thoughts? Two more, and these are um, uh, short, but but deeply soulful and, and sad. Andrew came in, Andrew Pearson, Friday when I was uh, just listening to a bunch of Lyle Lovett, and he overheard this one, um, the one called Nobody Knows Me. He said, God, it's a sad song. Um, I said, do you know it? Yeah, I do know it. Um, and he did, because he said, it's a song about cheating. And it is. Um, Never heard him tell the story of this. I don't know if this is it, but it sure seems this way. And again, this could be David. Um, song about a man, it seems, who uh, uh, really knew love, his baby, um, wife, whoever. Um, but for whatever reason, he had an affair. Um, uh, and now he's looking back, realizing that you know life's not the same. And, and she knew me. I, I knew her. And she knows me. And I still, I, I threw all that away. And it's this look back with such, to my ear, um, and I'd like some feedback. Um, it evokes from me quickly um, empathy. 
Um, this, this suffering alongside, actually suffering inside is what the word means. Um, he gets pain. I'm going to leave it there. Um, he sings this song, and Willie Nelson and some others are up there on the stage with him, and, and uh, we'll listen and then talk about it. So I hear that, and I just think it's a great song, because it, it's, it's there in the mundane, too. Um, I like cream in my coffee, I like my eggs over easy with flour tortillas, and she knows that. Um, but she also knows me in the depth of my capacity for evil. And that's such a outside-of-my-control-in-real-time experience that it just evokes pain. Um, it evokes such deep and true pain for so many people. And again, there's no, there's no redemption per se 
yet in this song. Um, and of course, that's how a lot of us live our life typically, is outside of any redemptive reach, just living day to day in that pain of, you know, behold the man, echo homo, here I am. Um, now, that's not the last, story, the last word, thanks be to God, but it needs to be the first word. Who am I? Um, can I call a spade a spade and not live a life in denial or some minimization of, you know, well, I'm not as bad as, you know, the creep like me that he sings about. Um, it's like, no, no, I, I'm right there. Um, listen to one more song and, uh, and set all that up um, from Ephesians 2, where um, Paul, uh, it seems, having been evoked from a story, his own and, and, and the story of his, his people, the Jews, uh, being alienated Christ and feeling that pain, actually being in the pain, again the word empathy, being in the pain, um, the deliverance as it, as it pulls us from that. But there's one more song that also evokes for me. This is a song I mentioned last week that actually I've, I've wanted to use in a class for a long time and never figured out how. It's very short. It's only two minutes. It's called The Fat Girl. Um, uh, let me read it real fast just so you can catch it, although it, it's very clear. Um, uh, Says the fat girl, she always stayed inside and played piano, and she told her mother the children made her cry. And her mother told her, they don't mean it, they don't mean it, they don't mean it. And then he picks it up with a great change. Um, now the fat girl, she ain't fat no more, and Lord, how she plays piano. She sings loud and she sings low, and she sings of love and blind compassion. But she don't mean it, but she don't mean it. There's this song, you're going to hear the way he sets it. It's, it's, it's also got that pain where there's that... Um, that illusion of control, she's kind of capped it and she's, she's made it, you know, now she's a successful singer and all that, and she sings of love and blind compassion, and she doesn't believe a word of it. She's an absolute fraud and imposter, and just putting on a good face, betraying the pain um, that, she, uh, that she has. It evokes in me, again, um, something. Um, it's a deeply soulful song that brings us right to the brink of Ephesians 2. Um, so, let me cue that one, and then we'll wrap up. Um,
So a good song evokes something from us. A good song evokes um, an awareness of our need and our privation. And the gospel, thanks be to God, is not doesn't it's not only given to be useful to those needs. It stands as an objective truth. It happened. Christ died for your sins, whether you feel that or not. Um, but the scripture does. I mean, it evokes something from us. It evokes this awareness, as it has this assault, as a living word upon us, and it evokes. That, uh, that deep sense of, say, the fat girl who's got this thin veil. Um, and she lives with the knowledge that she's singing about something she, has, she doesn't believe a word of. Um, uh, or um, uh, the man in um, Nobody Knows Me Like My Babe. You know, just, just open. Just open to, to God and the world and his pain. Here's, you know, could have picked lots of passages, but just borrowing heavily um, or skipping around. It's all out of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 20, but, but, uh, but connecting a few verses together. Um, in other words, skipping some verses in order to pull this, this narrative. Imagine you're the fat girl that it sings of, or this man who was caught, or a creep like me, um, or a creep like King David. And then hear these words, you know, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's the experience of the pain. But now, in Christ, Jesus, you who, are once far, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the one Spirit and the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens belonging with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So this experience of being far off and having been brought near, um, it's the only news. It's the only news to a, a song that evokes, or a scripture that evokes um, the truth of our, of our pain that's... Uh, Sometimes thinly veiled. So, anyway, that's a good exit. <laughs> Comments or thoughts? Time for maybe at one. While well, I leave, well, I'll love it to you, and I appreciate you uh, indulging my ability to kind of think about him this week. It was kind of fun. So let me pray, Lord, for um uh, for this time. I pray as ever, Lord, that you would correct me any place um, where untruth was spoken, but. Lord, if anything was evoked, um, allow it to be your uh, the truth which stands outside of any experience that you 
died for us and were raised for us. Um, and that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. See you all soon.